This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really. And the best part is anyone can take advantage of GMC's platform by signing up for consignment services. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com consignment and start moving your cards with Greg Morris today. What's up, everyone? This is episode 244 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my X account is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so Tuesday night was Halloween, and as Mrs. Wax Museum and I got closer and closer to that time where people were going to be showing up at our door, we realized we didn't have quite as much candy as we thought we did. So I pulled a quick audible and I did something that I've seen a lot of people on Twitter do where I packaged up, I think I did almost 45 or 50 team bags of like 10 basketball cards a piece. And honestly, I wasn't sure how receptive people would be to this, but I figured, you know what? It's better than nothing. It's something a little different. So uh, thanks to technology and thanks to the doorbell camera, which I've talked about. I, I got a little bit of practice a, a few weeks ago with the FedEx lady. So now I'm getting better at uh, monitoring that thing. So I was able to monitor some of the responses. And I thought I would play one or two of those for you here so you could judge the reaction for yourself. I got Nicola Jock. Who's the cat? Where's the good one? One tomorrow. Daniel Russell. Oh yeah. Excuse me, friend. Finding the good one. Basketball cards or here, just take some candy. Oh, some basketball. Okay, come on. Wait, can I check? No, no, just one. Let's be kind. I'm looking for my hands. Well, that's Miami right there. Miami Heat. Yeah, come on. Thank you. Overall, I would say the reaction was pretty good, and uh, I think my favorite one was there at the end where the dad's just like, hey, just just take some candy, and the kid's like, no, I want the Miami Heat card. So I think he ended up getting the Bam Adebayo cards, which uh, much better in his hands than mine anyway, so all parties involved are happy, and uh, I think it was a great success. So anyway, that's probably something that I'll consider doing next year as well. All right, so that was Tuesday night. Let's go back a little bit further to Saturday night. I want to talk about the Pacers game in Cleveland. They fell behind by double digits early on. They jumped to a double digit lead in the second half. Then things got close again. And you know what? That's just the nature of the NBA right now. Scoring is up and it's really just a game of runs. So those big leads don't concern me as a fan like they used to because I know, hey, you know, that they could always come back from that. Well, anyway, Tyrese Halliburton was noticeably sick and he had maybe like two points in the first half. So of course there was a fan at court side that was jawing at him. That was letting him know about it. Well, late in the fourth Tyrese perked up a little and he hit three threes to close things out. He turned to that fan and he yelled out, this is your fault. You did this. And I cannot emphasize enough how excited I am about watching the Pacers and Tyrese Halliburton this season 
And coming into this season, ESPN and The Ringer and a few other places posted their player rankings. And that's normal. Both The Ringer and CBS had Tyrese at 23. I think ESPN had him at 21. Obviously, it's hard for me to come at this from an objective standpoint, but I've been telling people all summer long, I think he's top 15. And some of you would probably classify that as a hot take. And for those of you that regularly listen to the show, you know that that's not my style. I'm not very good at the whole hot take thing. I think it's more so because I'm just not comfortable with it. It does take a certain amount of of boldness to come out with these hot takes. But at the same time, even though I'm not comfortable with them, I recognize that hot takes can be a lot of fun in moderation. When Will came on a couple weeks ago, we joked about a couple of his takes. One of them was about how Julius Randle was a, a top 15 Nick of all time. And then he also mentioned that Kareem should be a bigger part of the GOAT conversation. I've been thinking about those two statements ever since. In fact, I think I've messaged Will about it at least three times. So I've been wanting to do something related to hot takes. And instead of me sitting here and rattling off a bunch of topics you probably have heard from me before, I decided to turn it over to you guys. Earlier this week, I reached out to at least 20 different people. Many of them you've heard from on this show before. And I asked them to give me their hottest basketball card related take. The only real parameters I gave them were, I don't want to hear about hobby personalities. I don't want to hear about player comparisons like MJ versus LeBron. And then I asked them to try and keep it somewhere between one and two minutes if possible. That was it. And I ended up hearing back from over half the people I asked, which is great considering how busy some of them are. Some of their takes were hotter than others. Some of them turned out to be very reasonable and that's fine. I had a lot of fun listening to these clips. I'm going to play them for you in today's main segment. I think you'll get a kick out of it. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. But first, I've got one piece of mail that I've got to talk about. This is an upgrade for a set you've heard about on this show many times before, a set I finished a while ago. It is a 1972-73 Tops NBA Assist Leaders card with not one, not two, but three Hall of Fame autographs on it, all three authenticated in a PSA slab. It has Lenny Wilkins, Jerry West, and Nate Archibald. And I've talked a little about my approach to these signed trio cards before. I know there are completionists out there that would probably say if you don't have all three signatures on them, it doesn't count. Well, good luck because you've got multiple wilts, um, there's quite a few Kareems, and then there are other deceased guys that you might not think of like Tom Washington and Wes Unseld, so it's just really tough. So for my sanity, I decided if a card has at least one of the three signatures, it counts. With that being said, there are a couple of trios I've finished, but you know I'm just not going to stress out about it. Well, the one I just got in, if you think about it, Lenny's always been a great signer. Nate Archibald used to be automatic in the mail. Jerry West didn't hit his mail very much, but he would sign at shows. So there are probably quite a few copies out there. In fact, well, I've seen a lot over the years. I know they exist, and I took them for granted because I didn't want to pony up for one. You know, it was an expensive set chase. I had to kind of uh, compromise here and there in order to complete that set. Well, the majority of these trios disappeared from the marketplace, and I've had this little thought in the back of my mind that I probably should have picked one up or paid to finish the one I had started. Lo and behold, a couple weeks ago, someone listed three different copies on auction, 
all at the same time with three different grades. And they ended like 30 seconds apart from one another. So in a minute and a half, all three of these were ending. I had to be strategic. Instead of driving up the price on all three of them, I figured, you know what? I'll just put a bid in on the middle copy and I'm going to let it ride. And as you can see, that was obviously a successful strategy. And it's got me kind of revisiting that set in the process. So who knows what I'll be telling you about in future mail segments, but uh, I'm happy to get this one nonetheless. And in the meantime, I will try to get a picture of it up on social media. So be on the watch for that. All right, before I move into today's listener hot takes, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com. Are you tired of spending hours listing cards for sale? I am. I stopped that years ago. And if you're like me, then you are in luck because the ComC consignment marketplace is the easiest place to sell cards online. ComC will identify, scan, list, store, insure, package, and ship. Just send them your sports cards, trading cards, and collectibles. They will take care of the rest. All you do is set the price. Visit ComC.com today to start selling your cards. All right, and then real quick, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link. And using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to WaxMuseumPodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle, grind, spam, profit. We're the Whip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so as I mentioned in the intro, I reached out to a bunch of different people this week and asked them for their hottest basketball card-related take. And as I was splicing all these clips into the episode... I was trying to decide if I wanted to rate them on some sort of a hotness scale or some sort of a heat scale. But as it turns out, that's a pretty difficult task, and I figure I'll leave that up to you guys, the pros. Let me also add, while some of these takes were scorching hot, a lot of them were still pretty reasonable, or at least they seem that way to me, because these guys did a great job of making their case. And honestly, that was the whole point of the segment in the first place. I wanted to hear from a lot of people in the collecting community about a lot of different topics. I didn't want it just to be my voice or one other person's voice. So you guys delivered. You did not disappoint. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump to the clips. Hi, this is Kyle. Kyle underscore collects on Instagram. My hottest hobby hot take is that 2022 Bowman University will become one of the most important sets of the 2020s. The set features Bowman firsts and autos of 2023 NBA number one pick Victor Wembanyama. 2023 unanimous WNBA Rookie of the Year Aaliyah Boston, potential 2024 NBA number one pick Matthias Buzelis, and potential 2024 WNBA number one pick Caitlin Clark. Based on a rumored Fanatics exclusive deal, these will be the only rookie year autos of Wembenyama and Boston. We're already seeing this in Panini WNBA products that do not include Boston autos. Unlike Bowman's best in Inception, Bowman U cards are chromium, feature a wide array of color parallels, and include the first Bowman stamp, similar to the Rookie Shield. This first Bowman stamp has proven wildly popular and important in baseball. As NIL deals allow for prospecting before a player has official rookie cards, I think it's likely that we'll see cards of players earlier and earlier. 
Based on the importance of the players in this set, I think 22 Bowman U will be remembered as one of the sets that made people reevaluate their stance on collegiate cards. Okay, I'll tell you right now, I think that was one of the hotter takes of the episode. That's something that people have been trying to uh, really project for years is that college cards will at some point matter when it comes to the basketball card landscape. I don't think they will, but who knows? You know, it could be wrong. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a hot take right now. So we'll see if that comes true or not in the future. Next up. Hey, this is Carter on Instagram at MCBasketballPC. My hot take is that hoops does not suck. And in fact, I believe that for the Panini era, NBA hoops year over year will be known for the product that has the most iconic inserts top to bottom. Fight me. So I was actually thinking about hoops the other day because it used to come out in October and it was the first product of the year to look forward to, even though, you know, after everything else came out, you really didn't think much about it. And that's been taken from us with this current manufacturing landscape. So uh, it is what it is. I can't say that it's going to make me think a whole lot better of hoops, but nonetheless, um, thanks for your take, Carter. Hey guys, this is Matt or Basketball Card Collector 93. And my hottest basketball card take is that BGS 9.5 graded cards are actually just as nice, if not sometimes even nicer than PSA 10 graded cards when it comes to the card's overall condition. So when comparing the two, PSA holds a premium over BGS. However, a BGS 9.5 gem mint graded card that has one or two subgrades of a 10 often contains a card inside that is actually in better condition than a gem mint PSA 10 graded card. So as a collector, I feel like I can get cards and BGS 9.5 holders for a fraction of the price of what it would cost if the same card were in a PSA 10 holder. And while on the subject, another hot take that I have is that I think thicker cards actually look better in BGS holders, while refractors and other 35-point cards look better in PSA holders. So thicker cards are more likely to have condition issues, so having the subgrades is helpful in finding those issues on the card. Whereas with refractors, PSA holders provide the best presentation of the card because there's only one layer of plastic between the card and the case. Whereas with BGS, there will be an inner sleeve that is used. So those are kind of like my two hot takes. I'm kind of shocked that was the only grading related take that I got sent in out of all the ones I received. And I figured if I was to get one, it would probably be around the no slab movement and cracking cards and putting them in binders. That's not been the most popular take in the past, but I know this one is definitely controversial as well. There's always going to be that PSA BGS debate. Uh, and then, of course, other grading companies will come in as well. All right, I've got a trio of Panini-related takes that I want to play for you now without interruption. Hey, this is Alan at Sunswind Cards on Instagram. And my basketball card hot take is that y'all are sleeping on Panini Instant. I think they should be a lot more sought after as collectibles because they're a limited print run, but more than that, it's the moments that are scarce. How often is your team going to make a deep playoff run or a long win streak or a career high? So when it happens, buy the cards. And they can be pretty hard to find just a couple or three years down the line. Hi, this is Chartree or Wade underscore Zoe on Instagram. And my hottest basketball card related take is as follows. If we think that backdoored cards from Flair Skybox or even Tops or Upper Deck are a problem, let's wait and see what happens when it's Panini's turn. So after the NBA manufacturing license moves, given time, we tend to see 
that there'll be uncirculated cards hitting the market in some form or another. And the saving grace for a lot of these older cards is that the most desirable ones tend to be serial numbered. So it's somewhat easy to tell which cards are pack pulled and which ones are not. But Panini has deliberately made some of their top parallels and inserts, these non-serial numbered case hits. So it's really unclear and ambiguous as to how many of these actually exist. And from what we see from previous manufacturers, there are always cards lying around, whether as sort of spare damage replacements or as uncut sheets to be used as physical proofs for future print runs. So if any of this spare Panini non-serial numbered inventory were to hit the market, there is no conceivable way of telling which ones are pack pulled and which ones are uncirculated. And it's not to say you shouldn't buy or collect these cards, but it's just something that I'd personally be mindful of moving forward. Hello everyone, this is Alex, aka Connell Collection on Instagram. My hottest take for you guys today stems from my love of the 2009 Studio Basketball set. In particular, how perfect the cards are for getting autographs in person. My take is that Panini, Tops, or Fanatics need to create a set specifically for getting cards signed in person. The set can be posted for a sale on the team website or on the Panini or Fanatics site. Cards can be bought individually, or for a discounted rate, you could buy the entire team. If there's a player whose card you don't have, but you're going to see them play the next week or month, it would be a perfect opportunity to go on and buy one. It would obviously have to be a player with a signing license for that company, but buying a card that is clearly made to be signed with a white rectangle space, and then getting it signed would just be an awesome opportunity. There's also a great option to make them for our retired players. If a player is doing a private signing, or you know you're going to meet that player, you could go online and buy the card for the signing. All card sets have aspects that are hard to get. Imagine getting a player who doesn't sign often for your set and completing it. Imagine bringing a Stephen Curry card to Tahoe and getting it signed after his round of golf. Panini, Tops, or Fanatics wouldn't even lose money in this whole concept because they could just produce the cards as they're ordered. Maybe not the hottest take for everybody, but it's one that has been on my mind as a grapher for over a decade. The end. Fanatics, I hope you are listening to that, and I hope you're listening to this next hot take as well, because this is something that I've been outspoken about before, and uh, it's nice to see I'm not alone. Hi, this is Tommy, or at TV.SportsCards on Instagram, and my hottest basketball card-related take is that I love coach cards, and I wish they had them in more sets. Some of you were probably not in the hobby yet in 2017 when Panini decided to put coaches in prism. Uh, It was a move that I enjoyed. It was a move that I think obviously Tommy enjoyed as well, but it was not well received at all. And really, we haven't seen coaches in the product since, but maybe one day we'll see them come back. I think those coach cards are underrated. Speaking of underrated, this next trio that I've got for you deal with things that are either underrated or overrated, according to the person giving the take. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Wax Museum podcast listeners. This is Chris underscore HOJ on Instagram. And here is my hottest basketball card-related take. I think one of ones from the 90s are super underrated compared to the other parallels and more iconic inserts that came out during the 90s as well. And I'm guilty of overlooking the one-of-ones. I think there's a tendency amongst collectors like myself to just sort of pretend like they don't exist and to just focus on cards that are more readily available. But when you actually look at it, I think we've done that to such a degree that we've convinced ourselves 
to not look at the one of ones. And I think we've really missed out on some great cards. So I'll just give one quick example. Tracy McGrady, who was a rookie in 1997, his row three, which is his true rookie card, the base version, his row three from Flair Showcase, the one of one parallel sold for 23 grand in June of 2022. And then you compare it to a sale that happened just a few weeks earlier in May of 22, his PMG green sold for 60 grand. And the PMG green is iconic. It's an incredible card. There's only 10 of them. It's amazing. But for my money, there's no way that McGrady's Flair Showcase True Rookie Parallel 1 of 1 should be going for about 30 to 40% of what his PMG green goes for. So that's my hottest take. I think one of ones for all players in the 90s are severely overlooked. Thanks, Kyle. Everyone, this is Will. I go by Prolific Sports Cards on Instagram. My card hot take is that rookie cards are overvalued and overhyped. The reason being, there are so many releases, inserts, parallels today that every player has so many cards to choose from. And there are so many factors that I take into account, like the rarity, the design of the card, the product line. When I'm deciding how much I like a card or how much I want to pay for it, whether that card is a rookie becomes very, very low on the list of factors that I consider. I would much rather have a veteran card of a player that I like that resonates with me and looks great and is rare as opposed to that player's rookie card. What's going on, listeners of the Wax Museum podcast? My name is Brett McGrath. I host a podcast called Stacking Slabs. I have a hot basketball card take for you. This one has been stored in the vault for quite some time. No pun intended. But my hot basketball card take here is that the National Treasures Rookie Patch Autograph are the most overrated basketball cards of all time. Now, when I think about this, I think about it from a couple different angles. The first, subjective. I just don't care for the design, the look, and the feel. Of course, I like a nice, clean autograph on the card, which National Treasures provides. Thank you very much. But the player and the image always gets minimized, and it gets minimized for the patch. And I know we like patches around here. Kyle does a good job of investigating the legitimacy of patches. But my problem is the legacy of these patches and where it comes from. It's interesting to me that we celebrate event-worn patches at the beginning of the history of these cards. Undeniably, the 2009 Steph Curry RPA is a significant card in the hobby. This patch came from an event-worn jersey. Now, event-worn puts a player like Steph Curry in that rookie photo shoot, and we can at least understand that he wore that moment while taking pictures in his first cards. Now, if we move forward, a bulk of the legacy of these patches have come from the player-worn level. Now, player-worn how do we feel about that? I know it's controversial in the hobby, and especially if we're spending a lot of money in order to acquire the players that we collect in a card that the hobby tells us that we need if we are a legitimate player collector. 2019, we moved, and this is the year with the boom, we moved from a player-worn slash used. What does that even mean? Now we are in the unworn era where the content of the product does not come from any identifiable jersey. This is a problem, and I think especially as this product continues to get released, it goes to market, and we're being asked to pay thousands and thousands of dollars. Seems to me that it should be straightforward if we are spending a lot of money on a card. It should be the highest end of the highest end, 
And at minimum, sure, we want game worn, but at minimum, event worn is something that should be a requirement. So for these reasons, I believe, based on the price point, and for me personally, the look and the feel of the cards, I think the National Treasures RPA is the most overrated basketball card of all time. Thanks for all you do, Kyle. Take care. I know I've said for years now that I think National Treasures is a feast or famine sticker dump. I don't think it's a very good product. I think people have been blinded by the fact that there's the RPAs in there. And I was saying that before they were props. So now, Brett, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Now that they're props, it just takes a lot away from that product and a lot away from that card. I will say, though, the continuity has to stand for something. I know people like continuity, especially in the hobby, and um, that's something that can't be overlooked. So that's certainly going to be a hot take, and we'll see where Fanatics ends up going with that. Speaking of the switch to Fanatics, that segues into our next three hot takes. So let's go ahead and take a listen to those. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Mike Bev, Celtics on Instagram. My hot take for the hobby is that in two to three years' time, people will miss Panini the same way they miss Upper Deck, the same way they miss Fleer, and the same way they miss the original Topps basketball and football cards as they do today. Uh, the reason I say that is because a lot of people trash on Panini right now for their quality control. A lot of people trash, including myself, uh, Panini right now for their customer service. And whenever they do this, they say, oh my God, I wish Upper Deck was back making basketball cards. Oh my God, I wish Fleer was back making basketball cards. And oh my God, I wish Tops was back to make basketball cards. And maybe they weren't in the hobby at this point, so they just assume it was all golden back in the day. But their quality control was just as bad as Panini is today. The way they printed out cards, I remember sometimes in sealed boxes you would get literally creased cards. Not that it happened often, but it did happen. And when you had to contact them, you think Panini is bad to weigh on the phone with? Upper Deck, I remember calling and I waited literally hours to get on the hold with someone. Um, and when you did, you didn't get the response you wanted. I remember calling Tops. I had a Al Jefferson, Tony Allen, and Delonte West rookie uh, photo shoot triple autograph that probably had a value of 150 to 200 dollars. They didn't produce the card. They just automatically sent me back a card with probably 20 to 30 dollars of worth of value. And when I called the woman after waiting an hour, she said, "Too bad. That's what you got." I said, well, I'm going to send it back. She said, go ahead. You're not going to get anything else. So a lot of the ways that we dislike Panini today, that's the same stuff we dealt with. And yeah, they made incredible cards, but the things that we didn't like about them yesterday are the same things we don't like about Panini today. People forget that. And so why I say we're going to miss Panini in two to three years is because we miss the great things about Upper Deck and Fleer and Tufts. We miss the nostalgia of those great products. So that's my hot take. I think we're going to miss Panini. Thanks for listening. Uh, let's hope that my hot take is incorrect and we're seeing some amazing products and amazing service by Fanatics. But if not, this is my hot take and we'll see how it goes in two to three years. This is Steven, a.k.a. NJ Nets Collector. And my basketball card hot take is that Panini, the current sports card villain, will go a similar route as Flair did. Not saying they're going bankrupt, but rather vilified towards the end of their contract and then remember fondly 10 to 20 years later. This is, of course, barring that they don't get bought out by Fanatics and continue making licensed NBA cards. But assuming they do not and they cease making NBA licensed cards, I think that they have enough Keystone sets and inserts to have that nostalgic feeling down the line. Thanks for asking me, Kyle. Huge fan of the show. Hey, everyone. This is Hugo. You can find me on Instagram at Navrolian underscore PC. 
I appreciate you, Cal, for reaching out, and I hope you and the listeners are ready for my hottest basketball card-related take. I think we are foolish thinking that Fanatics will do a better job than Panini. We all know what the issue with Panini is. Not going to get better with Fanatics. I'm actually expecting worse. You can blame it on being French and pessimistic. It's part of my DNA. Say goodbye to on-count autos. It's going to be stickers going forward. Any type of product. We will see big names overflooding the market with sticker autos. No value, no scarcity, no rarity. Just pointless. Everybody will get the same autograph. Then the other issue is going to be game one. I know, Cal, you love game one. You love when you are able to track and get information as to when and where is the jersey from. It's not going to happen ever again. Why? Money. Fanatics is not going to buy from teams or players. Just going to do what Panini has been doing, for instance, with football. Because people still buy it. And I also think that we're going to realize very quickly how bad the situation is with Fanatics. And we're stuck with them. So we're going to look for Panini, Tops, Fleer, and we're going to chase the card that we love. Problem is, those cards are locked in collections. So all we'll have left is Fanatics. All right, hope I was not too pessimistic and depressing, guys. Enjoy collecting, collect what you like, and have fun. Okay, well, that was a little bit depressing, Hugo, so thank you for that. Uh, we are not going to end with that. Let's end on a little bit lighter note. Doesn't mean you're going to agree with it necessarily, but this is a take that I enjoyed hearing as well. What's up, everybody? This is Owen or Card Stocks from Instagram. My basketball card hot take is that there's actually not enough relics being produced in the hobby today. We've strayed into an unfortunate age where manufacturers are used to making non-used replica relics and i think if we got back to a place in the hobby that we were in the early 2000s with tops and upper deck we could change that for the better many hobby processes like using game use shorts towels uh, event use memorabilia like hats and suits uh, has gone out the window and i think if panini and fanatics and other manufacturers took that to heart uh, they could add more value to their cards while also satisfying uh, the general collector. While some collectors may see this as decreased value due to it not being a jersey game-used relic, I think that it can provide more creativity for manufacturers to go in different directions with sets and subsets that they may not have been able to do before. All right, well, there you have it. I wanted to branch out and do something a little different this week. I appreciate everyone that chipped in and helped me out. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If there was anything you heard this week that resonated with you, well, reach out to that person on social media, not to me. Uh, and then as usual, if you do want to find me, you can find me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or X under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Hit up the website for my affiliate links, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>